I'm disabled. I've got a disability. Well, it's, I've got multiple disabilities, but it's not relevant when you're talking about me in everyday life. You know, like if you're if yeah. I'm talking about how I struggle to get on a bus, it's not relevant that I've got a, a whole list of illnesses that I need to give you. You know. Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. Rachel, welcome to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. And like, as I was just saying, I am really looking forward to this conversation. I feel like there's going to be a lot of things that you know that not everybody else does and people probably should know. And I'm really looking forward to it. So yeah, it's going to be good. I'm not going to promise anything, but because that's, that's a tall order, but okay. <laughs> no, it is absolutely not. I have read your work. I know what you do. I feel like a lot of people are going to appreciate this conversation, and I'm just I'm really looking forward to delving a bit deeper. Okay, <laughs> thank you. So the first question that I ask absolutely everybody on this podcast is, how do you refer to your disability? Uh, so. I mean, I've got about 27 disabilities, to be honest with you. That's not accurate. I've not got 27, but I have got over, I have got over 10. So mm-hmm. I, it's just easier for me to say I'm disabled. So I've got neurodivergent disabilities. I've got mental disabilities. I've got physical disabilities. Mm-hmm. It's just easier to say disabled. <laughs> it is, though, and I, I really like that as well, because I always, like, I bang the drum about how disability or saying, you know, disabled disability is actually very much an umbrella term. It's not a di- like a direct and it's not a pinpoint. It's just it's something that overviews a lot of different things. And yeah. exactly. and actually the way that we refer to ourselves and I was having this conversation with a friend is that if you refer to yourself as disabled, that in itself is a full sentence. Like you don't need to d- delve any deeper into that if well, you don't want to. Well, that's it. You know, like so much of the area where I work, people expect like they're always expecting full explanations and they're always expecting yeah. more details. And more often than not, it's quite personal things about like mm-hmm. people's diagnoses and traumatic details about people's life. And it's like, I'm disabled. I've got a disability, but it's I've got multiple disabilities, but it's not relevant when you're talking about something like when you're talking about me in everyday life you know like if you're if yeah. I'm talking about how I if I, if for instance I'm talking about how I struggle to get on a bus it's not relevant that I've got that I've got a whole list of illnesses that I need to give you you know yeah Ex- exactly that it's it's a it's very interesting when particularly around disability is that people think you owe them an explanation of yeah. your disability and now that could be how it impacts you or, or what it is or like medically what it is but actually you don't owe anybody any explanation for anything and mm-hmm. and like I said like saying I'm disabled is a full sentence you don't need to delve any deeper yeah. into that but more often than not it, it, it is that that people just expect everything from you like yeah like they don't expect they don't expect disabled people like it's always a sort of disabled people are always supposed to be educating non-disabled people mm-hmm. but at the same time I think more than anything it comes down to people just being really nosy and thinking yeah. that and thinking that they're entitled to know all of these things so I like for instance I've just moved into uh, a then they're not like sheltered housing but they are bungalows that are that yeah. were specifically reserved for disabled and elderly people the first thing people ask me is, because you've got to be either over 55 or disabled to get one of these houses. So the first thing 
which is a bit of an insult, is, oh, are you over 55? I have had that so much. And then the next one is, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, yeah. well, nothing's wrong with me. I'm just, I'm, I'm disabled, but yeah. nothing's wrong with me. I, I hate that, what's wrong with you? Because you get that so much. It's that in itself is where society falls short because they automatically think disability bad, therefore wrong. Mm-hmm. Therefore something is not adding up. Two and two doesn't make four. And it's that it's that reinforcement that we've had in society through media, through through everything, through the way that we interact with disability. It starts literally when babies are in the womb, you know, you know that whole ideology of I don't care what I have as long as it, as long as it's healthy. Yeah that sort of stuff it's like I don't care I don't care what gender my baby is as long as as long as they're healthy it's like well what, what if they're not healthy though do you, yeah are, are you are you going to change your mind about your baby when you discover that they're not healthy like I've actually never thought of it like that before but actually that it's such a solid point I, that I've stopped, that's something I've that's always members. said I've stopped family members from saying that I'm like okay but I'm not healthy so <laughs> and it's statistically in this family your baby might not be healthy because <laughs> my family has got just pretty much everything that you can think of <laughs> yeah but it's 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 so it's so true that actually mm-hmm. it, it does start it starts in the womb and and mm-hmm. and that question what's wrong i think it's so triggering on a lot of levels for a lot of disabled people because consistently throughout their life they've been told that something isn't quite right or they don't fit in and then having that reaffirmed and constantly yeah. re-asked is is really the, the really thing, quite annoying yeah because it's it's quite often the first thing somebody says to you when they when they realize that you use like a mobility aid or something like that because i i use different mobility aids depending on uh depending on like how i'm feeling that day so i will quite mm-hmm. often or often different times of the day you know so first thing in the morning i could be using a walking stick later on in the day i could be using a walker and then later on in the day i might not be using anything and when people yeah. see me, like more often than not, they'll think I'm faking it because I I needed I needed a I needed a walker like two hours ago, but now I'm walking fine. But when they when they do see me, if they haven't seen me in a while, and I'm using like a walker or something like that, I'll be, e, what's wrong? What have you done? And I'm like, nothing. nothing. I'm just a bit tired right now. <laughs> I want something I can sit down on while I'm walking me dog. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, more often than not, exactly it's so I can that. carry me groceries. <laughs> I always I always come back to like whenever you're in Sainsbury's or Tesco's or wherever you shop for your food it's when you are out and about and I don't know why but it's always when you're getting food that Mm -hmm. people stop and stare or they ask questions and it's like why is it always in the supermarket aisle what well look I'm just getting my bread why do you need to ask me that question for me for me quite often because I've got to go over a main road to get to my uh to get to uh, again, it's the Sainsbury's actually to get to the Sainsbury's near near me. I've got to go over a main road, and if I'm if I'm rushing to get over a main road, I'll often pick my walking stick up, or I'll or I'll not or I'll like be pushing my walker at quite a quite a fast speed. And so often, people who are waiting for me to cross the road so they can go are like, "Oh, you don't really need that. You you must be fine if you can do that." And I'm like, "No, what the fuck? What has it got? Am I allowed to swear?" Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course you are. I was gonna say, what the what the fuck has it got to do with you? Like, literally, yeah. I was walking down. I was walking down. I was walking down to Sainsbury's the other week, and this man hung out of his van, going, "Oh, you don't really need that pet." And I was like, "How do you know you're not even like <laughs> you? Like, you don't know that I literally struggled to get out of the house for an hour earlier. Like, are you telling me I don't need this because I'm power? And I was going downhill. To be fair, so it wasn't like I was struggling. 
yeah like I'm, I'm, I'm pushing i'm pushing a walker really fast downhill because i'm going downhill right now <laughs> it's it's interesting isn't it because that goes back to that whole explanation like people mm-hmm. think they can tell you about yourself particularly yeah. when you're disabled you people consistently tell you about what you can and can't do and it's never actually about what you know you can and can't do and i'm, I'm not saying can't isn't like don't put limits on yourselves but sometimes there is a limit that we all have and like we it's don't need to cross thing, it it's this thing of so i often get asked do i do i prescribe to the to the medical or social model and i'm like mm-hmm. both because yeah. yeah you know society does limit what i can and can't do but also my body limits what i can and can't do yeah, yeah. i've got i've got physical disabilities that that stop me from walking some days some days mm-hmm. it is my body that stops me so so it's very much it's very much not a you can do what you put your mind to thing. It's a no, sometimes I can't because my body literally hates me some days. Like yeah. I'm in bed doing this right now, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what was childhood like for you as a disabled woman? It was all right, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't become I didn't become disabled. I oops, okay, that's a lie. I wasn't I wasn't diagnosed until I was about uh, with the majority of the stuff that I live with until about until about so I was diagnosed with celiac disease when I was 15 I didn't get things like lupus and all the rest of it until I was well diagnosed with them until I was 16 to about 20 but I was diagnosed with dyspraxia when I was nine and that was the main one because it was it was something that was different it meant that I couldn't I couldn't do sports as well at school it meant I couldn't write as well it meant I I was bullied because of that but that was like it was literally just because I was different you know like I I was an easier target to the kids and Uh the teachers didn't understand it and stuff as well but for the most part I had quite a nice childhood like I got I got really sick with lupus when I was 16 and I don't like the story the whole the whole you've got to tell your sob story starting from childhood sort of thing yeah I didn't I didn't have a shit childhood to be honest with you and most of it was just spent like looking back on it now it's more of a oh I was I was a really neurodivergent kid or oh I was a really sickly Victorian child and everybody just acted like I was a hypochondriac (laughs) because I was I was a proper yeah I was a proper sickly kid so a lot of it now is looking back on my childhood being like being like kids didn't just faint when they got in too much heat you know kids aren't supposed to just faint yeah and that's me being a hypochondriac and kids aren't supposed to just like I'm gonna say kids aren't supposed to shit themselves all the time because they because they eat foods that 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 their body doesn't agree with and it's a doctor going oh well she's she's limiting her diet she must have anorexia or bulimia and I'm like no literally can't eat because I shit myself all the time yeah and it, it was a lot of medical misogyny especially because me and my mom both yeah. got a lot of she's just a hypochondriac that's just pain girls are supposed to go through maybe you're being too much of a neurotic mother so like I feel like I've had the medical misogyny all my life but for the most part like I didn't really realize it as a child it was more as I got older and it was more as I accepted my disabilities I look back on it now and it was like doctors were awful to me and my mom when I was a kid it's I always find the relationship between doctors and disabled people it's it's either one of two and there's never really an in-between it's either your doctor is has your back and champions you Mm -hmm. or your doctor has not an effing notion of what they're doing and 
And I do, I do have doctors. I do have doctors that do have my back. I've been with some of my doctors for, I've been with my lupus doctor for, God, I've been with my lupus doctor for about 15 years now. And I know she'll always have my back and stuff, but there is a lot of doctors, especially when it comes to things that affect women more. So, you know, like endometriosis, even, uh, even, even things that like the way that different conditions, like the way, um, the way uh neurodivergent conditions affect women mm-hmm. and the way the way women present and mental health conditions in women it's always when there's a female aspect to it that I've had a lot more misogyny and a lot yeah. and been treated a lot shitter compared to like the boys or men in my life and I think that's something that's particularly interesting with women disabled women or if you present as female yeah. is that it's that it really is that medical misogyny isn't it where you are you you know that something isn't quite right and I don't mean that like oh something's wrong something's right but you you know that there is something else going on and having to fight for that consistently is it takes so much effort it takes so much time and effort and it's and it's understandable as to why so many women go undiagnosed with a whole varying different degree of things I mean it's funny you say that but I'm pretty convinced that I've got ADHD like I've been peer-reviewed by all of my friends I've got like I I, I've read the traits and I know all of these things it just when it when it clicked it made sense but I don't want to go through another diagnosis I don't want to go through another another round of doctors mistreating me and telling me that I'm that it's all in my head and that I don't know my own body and stuff like that because I've had so much of it I mean like 15 years of 15 years of trying to get endometriosis diagnosis and stuff like that you know like I just I just can't be bothered with another one so it's it's that exhausting as well where I procrastinate so much and I put and I struggle so much but I'm like I could I could probably really benefit from ADHD medication but I don't want to go through that diagnostic period yeah and and that's that's where the problem is is that Mm -hmm. people are missing out on help because mm-hmm. they don't want to go through what they've already been through like yourself or they just don't want to get laughed out of the door yeah and, and like that's that's becoming more and more apparent as we learn a lot more about women and neurodivergency particularly like how ADHD and autism presents itself in women because it's so different to how it presents itself in men but and also how we've with, got to act as women as well though yeah but also with like the rise of of like tiktok diagnosis and stuff people are also being told that they're just they're just consuming it it's it's something that they're just consuming which is is problematic like like i wouldn't know that i had adhd if it wasn't for tiktok yeah seeing all these videos of of women who especially women my age because a lot of women in in our 30s when everybody started talking about it on social media went oh shit that's me i'm not just i don't just not know what time is i don't just procrastinate and put everything off i it's it's not just a funny quirky thing that i can't do the dishes until five minutes before i'm supposed to have done them like yeah you know it, we, we all suddenly put it together because it was things that we've been told that like oh it's just a it was just a, a lazy trait or yeah was, like you know we, we've just been told that these are things that women shouldn't be for years and years and years and then the younger generation started openly talking about it which meant we could talk about it and then all of a sudden you've got oh tiktok's responsible for thousands more yeah. diagnoses thousands more women it's like no we've always been here we just didn't realize that we had a name for it before <laughs> yeah realize, like like it's through watching things like it's through watching things like a kind of spark that i realized i didn't just sit like a bisexual 
because we always you know there's there's that silly memes if bisexuals can't sit in chairs and stuff it's like no I sit like this because I'm neurodivergent <laughs> yeah it's it's so fascinating and you're right like it's because of younger generations being like mm-hmm. open about what they go through and who they are and also that's mm-hmm. still like the rise of social media because we have a mm-hmm. lot more space to give other people voices that and, you can and, actually relate to people and they've grown up with that as well so they feel a lot more confident they feel a lot less like they're gonna get the piss taken out of them when they open up about these things like the younger generation are bloody incredible with the things like they will openly talk about compared to what people in their 30s are so still like told that those are bad things that we shouldn't be talking about you know like like sexuality gender mm-hmm. and all this stuff and I'm just like I'm still I'm still like oh no I don't want to get trolled by thousands of people when I talk about these things you know because that's what it was like for us and it's still, yeah. you know, it still happens of course it still happens but they, they don't give a fuck they're like yeah this is this is my truth and I'm gonna live in it and I wish I mean I'm growing to learn learn to do that a lot more but I wish that I had the confidence of the younger generation because they're yeah. making such big waves in ways that we are that we have been ground down over you know mm-hmm. and like it is it is in huge part to the media because you 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 get all of these amazing people who are talking about the diagnosis and suddenly it's everyone's faking ADHD now because such and such has got ADHD or everybody wants to be everybody wants to be a sad girl on the internet for, for attention or clout or everybody's faking being disabled for disability benefits I mean and yeah. that one's been around for a lot but it's it's come back yeah much more recently it's come back in the last couple of years you know the the scrounger disability now the scrounger dis- for disability benefits narrative have come back in a huge way it has yeah this is actually so perfect because this is a perfect segue onto how <laughs> how disability has impacted your career and particularly what you talk about and what you do mm. how is how is that and and having these conversations and having a bit of a present how was that navigated how and what work that you do so when I started out writing I I was still scared of disability I didn't really talk about Mm -hmm. disability but then I realized that there needed to be a space and there needed to be when I started talking about it I got such of a big reception that I realized I like there's no like not enough people are talking about it and not enough people are writing about it and yeah I, I just started talking about it and writing about it more until until I was getting asked to write about these things. And like, you know, I, I grew up in like my first time voting was in 2010. So I got royally fucked over by the Lib Dems who promised us this huge, amazing, different thing that was going to be different from the Tories before they mm-hmm. teamed up with the Tories. So growing growing up as, you know, I was 20, growing up as a young adult into a proper full adult in in a full Tory government has weaponized me no end mm-hmm. and it means that the things the things I'm writing about are the things that I've always want, written about things that were relevant to my life and these things yeah. became more and more relevant to my life and things like you know like I, I've been really lucky to have a platform that I've built and I think if I'm not talking about these things that are important who is talking about these things right and, if it's not going to be a disabled, like these things are going to be written about, but they're not going to be written about from the perspective of a disabled person who's mm-hmm. yeah from, who's from somewhere that has been massively impacted by Tory cuts, who's who's lived in poverty and lived in all right circumstances, who who is who is going to be impacted by things like the with the cost of living crisis, the benefits assessments being reformed, 
uh, all the different all the different things that the Tories are doing, who hugely was one of like, and I, I I feel like this it was so important to me to write through COVID as well because yeah. like I was one of the I was one of the few disabled writers writing through our uh, journalists writing throughout COVID because there just wasn't the platform for us and we were being told that our stories weren't relevant at times when like six in ten of us were di- were disabled people that were dying and we were being told oh yeah we've covered disabled issues and it's like but you haven't you know like we're, we're all yeah <laughs> what's something that really really stings uh, and it actually it makes me incredibly angry is that if you were a disabled adult or child and you had a disability particularly learning disability it was it was more centered around learning disability and you were hospitalized in covid you had an involuntary dnr put on your yeah. put on your form yeah how is that legal yeah. how exactly like we, and you were being encouraged as well you were being people were being texted and called up and asked if we wanted dnrs on our um on our on our medical records because I was asked if I wanted to do an hour on my medical record before I had before before like I mean I'd already had COVID at that point because I got COVID right at the beginning but like I was being asked in like April and May and I was like if I get this again and I get sent into hospital I'm there's a high chance that I will be left to die you know yeah like it's it's terrifying because the, it was it was really it was really quite horrific because uh learning disabled people and people with uh people with things like Down syndrome they weren't vulnerable they weren't in the clinically vulnerable group because mm-hmm. they were more susceptible to it they were in the, they were put in the clinically vulnerable group because they needed the care they needed the extra yeah. care they didn't but they didn't but they weren't less immune to it they weren't more likely to catch it yet there was such a huge amount of people learning disabled people that died from COVID because they were just mm-hmm. left because yeah. they weren't given the care. They were left in care homes or they were left they were left in hospitals. And it's absolutely awful, honestly. Like the the amount that this government just let disabled people die because they, they didn't care about us is like I'm like you can probably hear I'm getting quite choked up because I get choked up every time I think about it. And it was one yeah. of those things where I was one of the few disabled people covering it. And it was it was my job, but it was yeah. also my community that I was watching being decimated. And it's like, how am I supposed to just get to five o'clock and switch that off when I'm literally getting texts from yeah. friends going, my granddad's in hospital and, and, and they've put a DNR on him and we can't get it taken off. Like family mm-hmm. members weren't being allowed to, to take the DNRs off. Like, you know, like, it, <laughs> and it was things like, it was things like I was like I I literally drove myself to a breakdown uh, on Christmas two thousand just around Christmas two thousand and twenty one mm-hmm. I was working at Very Well House and I just um I just submitted something about us having the highest the highest daily figures and then the new highest daily figures dropped and I had to I was in the middle of crying over how horrific it was because it was around the time that. Like there was a new lockdown coming in, or yeah, well, I'm sorry, Christmas no period. family, uh, families. Christmas 2021, families were allowed to mingle, but obviously I wasn't going to see my family, and I was feeling awful about that. So yeah. I was writing stuff about that, and then at the same time I was writing about the the government just leaving us to die over Christmas, and this was when they were having all their parties and stuff. Obviously, um, uh, this was no, sorry, this was when stuff was first starting to come out about the parties because it was 2021, um. And literally, I had to I had to stop myself from crying, log back in to to the work system, and put in the new highest daily figures, and then I just had to carry on with my day and go shopping. Yeah, 
before the article went out and I was like this isn't something that's normal this isn't something that other reporters who aren't disabled are having to go through right now who are reporting on this mass murder of disabled people and then you yeah. get and then you get the people the person who the people who allowed it to happen like bloody Matt Hancock getting to go on the jungle and stuff oh my god <laughs> I just I would, think that that was the most ridiculous thing that I've ever that witnessed the in the entirety thing. of British media in my entire life. That was the maddest I have ever been. Like I've I, I've been mad a lot during lockdown, and I was a mad a lot during lockdown. But when when Matt Hancock, because it was the week that the COVID inquiry started, when mm-hmm. he went on when he went on TV and started crying about about lockdown and stuff, I'm like, are you fucking serious? hundreds of thousands of my people died and you are just like sobbing you were sobbing yeah. because you had an affair mate seriously and also it was such a terrible video of him cheating on his wife like, it's a very embarrassing video i would be absolutely mortified if that's how someone grabbed my butt i would be oh i'd be God, absolutely so mortified <laughs> you know what one of my favorite things ever is though there's a picture of when he was kicked out of the house out of his house by his wife and he, and she wouldn't let him go in the house so she's handing him his stuff and his dashound dog is stood on the curb, like being the most judgmental dashound ever. <laughs> like I've got a dashound, so I know how judgmental <laughs> these dogs are. But this dog was just like, yeah, pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I would love to talk to you about, because because you write and because you work in that sphere, is now I need to get this right. I want to be like the IPOC question mark. Sorry. Yeah. The, what is the deal? with not having legislation around how we write about disability in the media strap in (laughs) so so ipso was created after the leveson inquiry but it was supposed to be independent from most major publications except most people who sit on the boards and most people who feed into ipso are the people who write for the publications and who are editors and stuff like that Mm-hmm. Ipso created the editor's code that editors have to stick by and they are uh they can be fined if they break that code. Most yeah. things in Ipso fall under discrimination clause under the discrimination clause. Uh, mo- most forms of discrimination fall under clause 12, which is the discrimination clause. And there is separate guidelines for every single other type of discrimination. So gender, sexuality, religion, different races, how you speak about different races. They've all got guidelines. Disability has apparently never needed one because they don't get complaints, is what I was told by the head of standards and practice at, um, at Ipso. So I sat down fully expecting, because I asked for a meeting about guidelines. So I fully yeah. expected them to want to work with me for guidelines. And it was just the worst meeting of my life. I was told people don't complain. I was told we only create guidelines after there's been a big event. So once there's complaints and stuff, Literally, whilst I was talking to her, um, two uh newspapers that were regulated by it that are regulated by Ipso, um, they published really horrible stories about disability. Uh, there was it was stuff about ADHD and dis and benefit scroungers and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I went, okay, they've got you've got no complaints. I'll give you some complaints. We got seven hundred complaints over those two articles, and then they went oh, we didn't actually think you'd give us complaints. You must have made us misunderstood me. I didn't say that you should give me complaints. I just said we don't have complaints. So I was like, but I gave you them. And then it was then it was the best part. The discrimination clause only applies to individuals. It doesn't apply to groups of people. It only applies to individuals. 
So basically, I mean, even though we've still got all of these guidelines around race and sexuality and gender, mm-hmm. the reason that people can be so awful about sexuality and trans people and all of this and disabled people is because it only applies to a particular to one singular person if they're being awful about one singular person, such as the way Clarkson was eventually fined and had to take out Downey's stuff about Meghan Markle. Mm-hmm. Uh, that applies because it was one person. So I went, okay, we're going to keep going. You, like in the meantime, we were told there's going to be a consultation. So any suggestions you should, uh, any suggestions you have for the way that we should be uh, looking at complaints can uh, can be submitted that way. I got over a thousand people to submit to the consultation, saying we should change the clause to include groups of people. Heard nothing from that because. We don't know when the next going to sit, and they wouldn't tell us when they were next going to sit. In the meantime, the Sun, which is regulated by uh, Ipso, uh, called Sophie Morgan a wheelchair. They they called they literally called her a wheelchair, and they led with this. This, this was when uh, this was when strictly were rumored to have a disabled a wheelchair using contestant. So this, they went yeah. with, they went with cha cha chair and first wheelchair contestant. Uh, so we went okay. Here's an individual. Here are 700 complaints. No, I think we got 900 complaints. Here are 900 complaints mm-hmm. about an individual. And they went, oh, it doesn't matter because Sophie, it, it doesn't count because Sophie didn't complain. Sophie did complain. They didn't respond to Sophie. <laughs> so we were again told that didn't count. Uh, so so I, I literally had to just go, no, I'm, I'm done here. I'm fucking done here. And mo- and it, in the meantime, the scrounger narrative and all of that just kept coming up. Yeah. And I kept telling people to complain. Uh, so, and then a really awful one happened in, I want to say it was the Times of Telegraph. I can't remember which one. It was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so I went, okay, this is really inaccurate actually, because they conflated, they completed means tested benefits and non's mean tested benefits and on, on non mean mm-hmm. tested benefits, you can still work. Uh, so I was yeah. like, actually, there's a lot of inaccuracies here. So I told people to complain for inaccuracy and we got about 500 complaints for inaccuracy and then went yeah okay this might be inaccurate but it's an opinion piece and it's what that person thinks is true yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so ipso basically says you can write whatever the fuck you want about disabled people as long as you believe it's true and i'm still i'm still fighting them we've got which is just inherently problematic mm-hmm. um yeah so it basically just allows any columnists they want to uh to to write whatever the fuck they want about disabled people, neurodivergent people, benefits, like, as long as they believe that it's true, because it's their opinion. Yeah, I and just, this is why disabled people and the media have a very fraught relationship. Absolutely mind blowing, and even even when even when papers try their best, you know there are still pa- there are still instances of them accidentally doing things like because there's just not the education there. You know, there's things like. A lot of edit, especially non-disabled writers, don't know that you can't use things like wheelchair bound. They don't That's know what that. I was just about to say. That's something that, that gets brought up prefer, quite a lot. Yeah. They don't know that people prefer disabled person to person with a disability. They don't always know the history of trauma porn and inspo porn and that these stories do a lot of damage to us when you're painting this person as such an inspiration and then having yeah. splashed across the next few pages about, about benefits cuts and all of that stuff, you know? But, but it's not there stopping them it's there's not a, there's not a straight set of guidelines that say this is what is okay this is what accept this is what's acceptable and if we had that it would revolutionize media you know like yeah 
and it, it would inform a lot of people who are trying their best because there are a lot of good people in media you know there there are good people across all papers even shit papers there are good people in them but they don't know they don't know they don't know any better because there's not enough disabled people in media there's not enough disabled people in power in media and there's not and there's no guidelines that are telling them this is how you should be writing about it I just think it's mind-blowing I think it's so mind-blowing that there aren't any guidelines because I think the way that we have relationships with disability now being disabled and your own relationship with your disability is completely individual however it is very much impacted by what you see what you read and what you hear regardless of who you are and then that gets more impacted when you acquire your disability because Mm -hmm. the only time the likeliness is if you acquire your disability in life the likeliness is your only interaction with disability has probably been through the media which tends to be one of two things it tends to be what a hero he's amazing or you're destitute and you're down and out yeah or you've overcome your disability you've like you've magically overcome it or you've died and there's no in between for for any of them there's there's none Sorry, whenever I talk about benefits, I get a lot of people who are newly disabled who go, I did used to believe in the benefits ground a narrative until yeah. I realized how hard it was. Because that's all people read, you know, when people yeah. constantly read about about billions being defrauded and but and and how easy it is and how much of a cushy life you've got because you don't have to work, of course they're gonna believe that. And then it mm-hmm. suddenly happens to them and they go, Oh shit, this isn't this isn't the cushy life that I thought it would be, you know. It, it, it I, I kind, I kind of, I don't know how to express how important it is that that narrative needs to change because so many people do not apply for the help that they need because of that narrative because yeah. they believe they fall under that scrounger or they believe that they they're not worthy of getting something or alternatively they don't even know that they can get help. And so many people, so many people don't want to identify as disabled. Like you're yeah. seeing a lot come through with COVID. A lot of long COVID, uh, people who have long COVID don't want to identify as disabled because they're like, oh no, I'm not like then. This has happened to me and this, and you see a lot of long COVID people, like I'm not being funny, acting like it's, acting like this is a completely new scenario. Like, oh my God, the government are doing nothing. I can't get benefits. I'm being taken, I'm being... I'm being kept out of work and it's like welcome to life as a disabled person mm-hmm. and it's because yeah. on there's never been for a long time there's never been such a mass disabling event of people who were relatively healthy beforehand and yeah. now they think this is such a unique scenario when this is what happens to acquired disability and to people who've lived as disabled for a long time it's just now it's suddenly happening to the pub to the general population yeah I I really like what you've just said about that how there's there hasn't been a mass disabling event quite like COVID before that we've ever lived through Mm -hmm. and actually it it rings true because what you say about you know when you acquire your disability like nobody (laughs) nobody gives you a handbook and nobody Nobody says like welcome to the club Mm -hmm. you literally just get like a rubber stamp on your medical book that's like yeah you're now disabled go and deal with life yourself and 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 if there was you know a handbook i'm not necessarily sure how helpful it would be but at least you would know what direction to be looking yeah. in for the help and that, and it doesn't exist and that also again plays into that idea that the media do need to have guidelines because then your next port of call is the media because that's how we get our news that's how we get our information and if we don't have the guidelines there 
how are we meant to yeah. move forward as a society with people who do acquire their disability how, how does that happen it's just the constant narrative that we are the worst possible scenario or we are so inspirational and we're overcoming disabilities you know like like I, I, I've got it as a rule that I won't work with anybody whose PR describes them as uh, doing everything despite their disability. Because I'm I like, that. I'm like, no, I'm doing everything with my disability. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's just, yeah, it's it's this narrative that I think there's a lot of internalized ableism, especially in acquired disabilities. Mm-hmm. But that's because disability is seen as the worst possible thing by so many people and it's portrayed as the worst possible thing when really we're just people living our lives and that's that's been a big important important part of not just the work that I do but the work that I showcase so in things like the unwritten and in things like disabled Britain I never wanted it to be this is disability specific this is condition specific it's just this is us living our lives and this is the way we're trying to live our lives and this is like we had a lot about sex on the unwritten because that's hardly ever spoken about. Like disability, it's a big taboo. Disability, big, big taboo. Sex, you know, like people just expecting that we don't do it, and um, and just things like trying to get across, trying to get into work, trying to, trying to go to the supermarket, trying to, you know, like we were saying, you know, like not being stopped in the supermarket and being a teachable moment every time. Every time we're just trying to do what's happened. Yeah. it is it's so true it is it's so true it's just trying to show all sides of the reality of disability without it being dressed up for non-disabled for the non-disabled audience that's what I try and do the most yeah and I think that that's really important is that sometimes not all writing and and particularly like sometimes this podcast it is not designed for the non-disabled it's designed for the disabled to feel like they have a space they have their own they can listen into a conversation, they can read and they can relate. Whereas, you know, when you think about it, nine times out of 10, yourself and myself, we are fitting into the the non-disabled world, which isn't actually our reality. Like I consistently, consistently forget that everybody's reality is not disability. And it's almost like a stark reminder. I'm like, oh shit, like you don't understand that because you're not disabled. Whereas like, I I wake up in the morning, I'm like, okay, this is a disabled life. Like here we are, like it's, it's all good. I'm happy, like whatever. But then I go outside and I'm like, oh, you don't you don't understand that because you're not disabled and you can't see the inherent problem with what you've just said or, or what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I forget that all the time. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much ableism that people just ignore because it's not part of their lives. You know, like mm-hmm. it's just like things like language, things like the way they act and stuff, the way the things they make fun of people for is like, yeah, but do you not realise that there's a reason that these people are doing these things you know and it's yeah. not just because they're a little weird like it's just sometimes like, we are weird I will I mean, give us sometimes that sometimes <laughs> it's because I'm a little weird <laughs> but yeah you know like it's just it's just so much so much of so much of what we do is for is is, is supposed to fit into non-disabled life that disabled narratives are missing so much and when it comes to and that's why when it comes to telling our stories, more often than not, disabled people think that they can tell them. Like, I can always tell nine times out of ten when a non-disabled person has written a story about disability. Oh, easily. So It's so easy. Straight away. Straight away. Straight away you can tell, you know. And it's like, why did you not, why did you not get a disabled, like, 
And more often than not, they'll have a disabled commentator who wasn't paid. You know, like they'll have they'll, they'll have somebody who's given a comment about why it's important to their life or whatever. But it's like, why did you not just ask that person to write the story? Mm-hmm. And, and more often than not, it'll be, oh, we didn't have the budget for freelancers. Oh, we didn't. And it's like, okay, but why didn't you have a disabled person on your staff? Why don't you have disabled te- Why don't you have disabled writers? And then it'll be, oh, that's not possible because they can't work from offices. And it's like, yeah, but I don't work from an office, you know? Like, yeah. I was only able, like, I've been doing my job since I've been a disabled writer and going into journalism since 2015. But it's only because of COVID that I was able to become a freelancer, that I was able to become self-employed full-time. Yeah. Like, because, and that was because all of the things that I'd been saying for years, like, I can do this from home. I can do this from my bed. I don't need to be working eight hours a day. Became possible for everybody else. Everybody yeah. else started working from home, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what was so infuriating for disabled people because it's like, oh, working from home is great. It, it opens it up to everybody. And it's like, yeah, but we've been asking for that for the last 10 years. years you know? Yeah. Years and years and years. Since, since the internet happened, we've been asking to work from home. And it's always been possible. They just didn't want to make it possible because it was seen as, it was seen as a benefit and it was seen as an advantage for disabled people and disabled people having better we can't have people thinking that somebody else has got that disabled people have got it better and it's like it's not better though it's just equal when yeah. we haven't got anything more than what you've got we're just doing things in the way that makes it equal for us able to do our jobs in the same way you are I love what you just said about it's not better it's equal because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people forget that a lot of people don't realise the inequality and disability and actually, it, you know, making accommodations for disability is it's not about being better. It's it's about being equal. And I think this is another language problem because in our country, we call it benefits, whereas yeah. in America, it's called welfare. So if we called it welfare instead of benefits, it would stop being seen as it's a benefit. You know, it's, yeah. it's a bonus. It's something that people are getting for doing nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, I think that's it's a really interesting point isn't it that maybe our lang- our, the way that we speak about you know benefits as in like the monetary benefit mm-hmm. it, it should actually change because mm-hmm. you, it's a misconception that it's a benefit it's actually just leveling someone's playing field when they actually need more support than someone else that's it you know like it's literally just and I mean I forget and I think because all benefits quite often get conflated together people forget that on some benefits you can work you can have a job yeah. And it's not like you're de- you're not defrauding the system because you're working because for the because PIP is there to help people for the cost of their lives that yeah. the extra costs that non-disabled people don't face. I mean, it's not enough. It's it's not enough. It's 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 because on the standard rate of PIP, which is what I get, you get about five hundred a month, and it's been estimated that disabled people face costs of over a fa- extra cost of over a thousand. So it's, yeah. it's not enough, but it's it's something, you know, and it levels it that little bit. It makes it that little bit more leveler for us. But people are like, oh no, they they don't deserve it, and it's like, why not? I mean, I literally spent, I literally spent the last, I spent the last two weeks being told that I don't have a job while I have a job because I stood up for benefits on TV. Yeah. Literally, people telling me to get a job and that I shouldn't be spending so much money getting my nails done, uh, because I stood up, I stood up for disability benefits on TV. And I'm like. Yeah. I've got a job. This was me doing my job. <laughs> so I wonder if you have a piece of advice for a younger version 
of yourself knowing what you know now god um stop being so stop being worried what people think about you like Mm -hmm. most of the time people are not people are not thinking about you (laughs) yeah that's an important one people are very self-centered and most of the time they're more worried about themselves than what like everybody than everybody else um stop listening to what uh people on the internet say about you when they've got 24 followers and you've got 10,000 <laughs> um don't be afraid to pitch the stories that are important to you uh try like you know like I spent a lot of time worrying that I was going to that I was going to make myself undesirable by pitching the really hard stories and mm-hmm. then they turned out to be the most successful stories because they're the stories that needed telling the most. Yeah. And I think don't, uh, oh, this is this is a big one. Don't feel like you owe anybody the details, the intimate details of your, of your diagnosis or your struggles with disability. Because when I first started out, I did that a lot. Like I told mm-hmm. a lot, I told a lot of publications the really intimate details and how it affected me mentally and physically and how it affected my relationships. But I wouldn't talk about now if I talk if I talked about the if I talked about those things. And there's a lot of things I talked about in the younger days because I wanted because I thought I was helping the narrative when I was actually really feeding into the trauma narrative. Yeah. So much advice. And yeah. I love I love that though. <laughs> I love that though because I think I love what you said about don't be afraid to pitch the hard stories because they're the ones that need to be told. And I think for so long disability has always like we've already said today disability is either this massive inspiration or it's your down and out and your desolate and there's no in between but actually there are so many important stories that that lie in the in between that need to be told that need to be heard and I always think particularly from doing this podcast and chatting with people what about the person who needs to hear this story because they can't find it anywhere else what about that person where where will they go and if I don't tell it or you don't tell it Mm -hmm. the person that's going to tell it is not going to be disabled and they're not going to get a true representation of life of of how it is of the reality of this and and I love that so much because there's always growth in hardship always growth in hardship and it's not always nice no it's not like it's it's not nice it's not it's not necessary but growth doesn't always have to be good you know yeah if you come out with something and you'll so much harder or you're so much it's not even harder if you're so if you're just a better person and you're you've learned from these things and it's changed you in a way that it wouldn't have changed you before like it's it's been worth it you know like life's yeah. about hitting the great things all the time and I think the stories that have really resonated with me have been with and the comments that always make me cry has been when someone has gone this is what I needed this is what I yeah. needed this is what I wish I could have told my younger self this is I have never read my story like this before I never thought the other people experienced these things the same way that I did mm-hmm. and I cry every time like thank you for telling this story like I've never seen this story told before and it seems like people people saying like I don't feel so alone anymore yeah like, oh, that's, that's so powerful so powerful mm-hmm. because we are disability is such an isolating thing like mm-hmm. you think like oh there's nobody else who's going through this horrible thing like me especially when you're surrounded a lot by non-disabled people I mean that was me very much at the beginning of my journey now I've barely got any non-disabled friends because all of us <laughs> all of us are disabled or neurodivergent in some way and that's 
beautiful because it's brought it's the internet has brought together such a community of disabled yeah. people like we're all it's people I would never have met before like mm-hmm. if I was just living my life and living in my little town and stuff you know like the the, commu- the online disability community has saved my life and I think it's saved a lot of people's lives in yeah. so many different ways but this actually said oh my god you would think that I planned this oh so good oh so I like to ask everybody about a positive trait that they've noticed within themselves through hardship and as we were just talking about hardship and growth I wondered if through any periods of growth in your life when you look back upon reflection you think actually I, I handled that really well or that trait came out of that and I'm actually very proud of it do you do you have anything does anything come to mind um I'm really resilient mm-hmm. I'm like I'm ridiculously resilient like but also I'm really fucking funny <laughs> like the, the jokes that I make the, the things that I make jokes about that I shouldn't make jokes about like I can yeah. always find the funny side and things and it's like uh, one of my friends years ago, uh, the writer Fiona Longmore, uh, had an article. Uh, she she had a saying that was "This too shall be funny," and I always try and think of that like this is awful right now, but someday I'm gonna find these things absolutely ridiculous and absolutely hilarious. Yeah. So I I I the, the things that I make jokes about and the things that I I don't necessarily make light of them, but getting through these things with with grace and being able to be petty in my own way but make always trying to make a difference out of whilst terrible humor is yeah. like my, my ability to always have terrible humor about things. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think like and I've said this before is that if you're part of the disabled community whether or not you were funny before if you acquired your disability oh, you probably hilarious. will become funny like you will because you will develop a dark sense of humor like I'm, that's just factual the the, the the dark group chats that I'm in are just absolutely incredible like we will take some of the worst scenarios of our life and just make silly little memes about or silly little like like jokes about and stuff and it's it's absolutely ridiculous like I was talking about today like uh like today is the anniversary that um 14 years ago today I tried to uh end my life I tried it I tried to commit suicide mm-hmm. And uh, straight away, one of my friends was like, okay, it's Rachel celebration day because <laughs> you're still alive. And I was like, okay, cool. And then another, and then another of my friends went, I'm going to celebrate Rachel today by bullying a Tory on the internet. <laughs> I was like, that is, what, that is exactly how I want people to celebrate me. <laughs> yeah. Well, also thank you for sharing that because that's not always the oh, easiest no. thing to share. And, and, the like there's there's a lot to be said in dark humor particular mm-hmm. with trauma mm-hmm. and disabled people just tend to have a little bit more trauma than most people like that's I a fact the, i think the thing is we're so expected to mine our trauma as well and we're so expected yeah. to talk about the hardest parts of our life like mm-hmm. yeah like it's just dishing out the daily just news give it a, just give it away for free it's like no if i'm gonna give it away i'm gonna make it fucking funny <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also going to get paid for it. <laughs> I'm also going to get paid for it. I'm not going to give it away, and I'm not going to give you. I'm not going to give you my darkest trauma just because you think that people should read it. Like mm-hmm. I really, I really wish that I'd learned when I was younger that I have control over how I can tell my story. Yeah, yeah, I love that. What I also love is the amount of bizarre questions disabled people get. Oh my god! So. Like I'll I'll preface this with 
religion not religiously that's not the word I was looking for the word that I was looking for is gone but I always get asked um did a shark bite your arm off and that's like something that people love to ask me and, and I always think that like we live in the UK UK is an island not surrounded by sharks but if I had been I probably would have been front page news and you probably would have seen my face before but but considering that that's never happened that story doesn't exist because it didn't happen now I was wondering what are some particular weird questions you get around your own disabilities um the stupid thing like so so lupus is uh I get I get asked if I'm a vampire because you, you can't go out in sunlight if you've got lupus there was a large spate of uh there was a large time that I was asked if I was a vampire especially around because my my illness happened around twilight so that was <laughs> so that was great you are <laughs> Edward Cullen are you a vampire because it happened around that time um you know the stupid things like oh have you got a license for that when I've got me walker and I'm like yeah. no, obviously not it's a walker it doesn't need a license yeah <laughs> um things like asking being asked because I've got I've got a collection of really nice walking sticks. Like they're not the boring, horrible grey stuff. So I get asked uh-huh. if it's a proper lot. Asked asked if it's a asked if I really need that or if it's a if it's a fashion accessory. <laughs> is is that real or is that an ex- or is that a fashion thing, love? And I'm like, no, it's not a fashion thing. I mean, it is a fashion thing, but it's also real at the same time. It's boring. Yeah. Um, I get asked. Uh, oh, the 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 worst. The most ridiculous was when I was trying to get a hysterectomy and the doctor said, you know, that's not reversible, right? Oh, God. You know, that's not, you know, that's not reversible. If I decided that I wanted kids, uh, you, you know, that's not reversible. Um, But also just things like, uh, things like, oh, so that's, is that what, when when I ask people, uh, when, when I tell people I can't really go out in the sun and stuff, it's also, oh, is that why you're ginger? I'm like, no because the two go hand in hand because that's i'm pale and i'm ginger but that's not the same thing um just loads and loads of stupid stuff i don't i think i get it a lot less now because people know that i'm a sarcastic dickhead so yeah i will not give them a straight answer but yeah it's very it's very often do you really need that oh do do you need that or is it for your shopping is one that i get a lot with my walking i'm like both um, it's a mixture of the two it's functional and practical <laughs> both um oh i when i'm wearing sunglasses and i'm walking my dog whilst i've got my cane my cane is not does not look like a cane that a blind person uses it, it's bright blue and it's got a question mark handle but when i'm wearing mm-hmm. sunglasses and i'm walking my very small dash out i get asked if he's my guide dog because that's the guide dog you want. Because 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 a little a little dickhead is is the type of guide dog you want. <laughs> yeah, that was the weirdest oh. one when I got asked if he was my guide dog. I was like, no, <laughs> of course he's not my guide dog. <laughs> well, it really just like things it's it's things like assuming that I can't have a job, assuming that mm-hmm. it's assuming that I don't really like like uh. So there was a rumor a while ago that I have a ghostwriter. This was yeah. this was a few years ago that I have a ghostwriter that I don't really write that I don't really write my own stuff because the disabled person couldn't possibly actually write all of this. It's it's weird, man. It's absolutely bizarre. <laughs> Truly, the disabled experience is like no other. Yeah, it's there's there's literally no other. Like and I obviously the other minorities get a lot of shit, but the the things disabled people just get assumed about where it's absolutely bizarre. It really is. I literally have one final question for you today, um, but I've, I've loved this conversation. I think it's been fascinating to talk about the media and ableism and 
and how do we pull that apart in a way that benefits us as in the disabled people and how do we work with that mm-hmm. but my final question for you is are you disabled and proud of course I am <laughs> I already love being disabled you could I couldn't change I wouldn't change my life for a thing apart from the ableism yeah minus the ableism and my grand <laughs> minus the ableism and my body sometimes deciding that I just can't walk some days fantastic you know I bloody love my disabled life I really do yeah oh thank you so much for coming on today I have loved this conversation it's been a real deep dive into the media and and how the media perceives its ability and I've loved it because I think a lot of people need to hear this kind of conversation that's very like off the bat and actually very truthful and I really appreciate you coming on and talking about it it's been great I've loved it oh thank you so much for having us on it's been so fun yeah thank you so much oh I can't wait for this to go live (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening to this episode of disabled and proud if you've enjoyed the show then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts it really helps us to reach more and more people each week plus if you've got a particular highlight then I'd absolutely love to hear it tag me on your insta stories at disabled and proud podcast